Okay, when the wind doesn't blow, we will. Oops, that wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. When the wind doesn't blow, and then we all stop talking, right? Okay, so here's the thing. Remember in Harry Potter when Dumbledore said it is time to choose between what is right and what is easy? That's the theme for today, right? May the spirit of Dumbledore live on through all of us today as we peer review, right? So it might be, it might take time and effort to get this exactly right, but we're going to do it anyway because, again, remember, everything you're doing now is for future you. Future you who's going to be in college and not worrying about writing papers because you have it on lock, right? Yes. But it's going to take a while for you to get there, judging by the things that I saw. <laughs> um, so, right, we have to, like, we have to just, like, be patient with the process. Slowly get there. Slowly get there. We're baby stepping it. Here's the thing, though. I need you to be meticulous. Here's what happened in the recent peer review for grit, the grit paper, right? Remember how I was said that you had to be super careful, super specific, make sure to note everything? I didn't, there was a lot of times when I was marking things wrong that we had covered very clearly in the peer review, right? So I'm not trying to call you out. This is a process of learning and growth. But if you've never, if you've ever been meticulous before, right? Here's the day where you're gonna be the most meticulous that you have ever been in your life to date, right? Not just for the person whose paper is in front of you, but for you, because every time you're critical and meticulous about writing, your writing gets better, right? So it's a symbiotic relationship and it's important to be as meticulous as possible. Do we understand why? So it's hard to walk that line between feeling like you did everything wrong Right? That everything is wrong and I spent so much time on this paper and I, I sucked. Right? It's hard to walk that line between feeling like a failure and feeling like you're in progress. Right? If, you, if, you, if you're on a computer screen, your bar is loading and it's down here like in the bottom quadrant. Right? But you'll be surprised how good your skills get really, really fast through this process. So again, don't be discouraged with the results of this or with what you see, just know that it's part of the process and all of you are where you need to be at this time. Even if you made big mistakes, MLA, um, even if you made big mistakes, you're still right in the pocket of where you need to be and it's gonna be fine, right? So far so good? So again, remember the rules for peer reviewing are that you're highlighting and then you never ever highlight anything unless it's accompanied by a note in the margin. Even if you highlighted it, you see that they did that thing, and you think they did it well, you need to note that, because a highlight without a comment is meaningless. It's just pretty, right? We're not here for just pretty. Pretty is a bonus, but that's not the point. We understand? So make a comment on every single thing, and stay with me. I'll help you know whether or not something is appropriate or inappropriate, okay? So the GRIT peer review was just like a training peer review, right? The training wheels are off and we're doing this for real today. So you'll see three pieces of paper in front of you. The first paper, the purple one, is a color coding paper, right? So this will help you know what color to put things, to highlight things in. But please don't work ahead. I'll still give you direction. Just stay with me, okay? Then you'll also see a college level writing checklist. You're going to check that off according to what they have presented here at the very end of the peer review, okay? And then you'll also see the grading rubric for this paper. We're not going to touch everything on this grading rubric because this isn't the full paper. This is just the middle point where we're going to stop and fix things and redirect if we've gone off track at all. So far, so good? Okay. With that being said, keep in mind, focus people up, focus up. You're going to have to look this person in the face, in their beautiful face, right? 
And you're going to have to say things to them in an emotionally intelligent way, both what they did well and what they have got to fix before they even start writing the rest of the paper, right? So when you go home today, according to this peer review, you're going to do it today so it doesn't encroach on your homecoming weekend, right? You're going to go home and you're going to fix things according to the peer review before you write the rest of the paper, right? So at least this section is on lock before you move on. But what you fix in this section is going to help you write the next section better. It's going to make writing the rest of this paper easier when you're more solid and clear on what you've done right and wrong in the middle. Does that make sense? You've already done the hardest thing about writing a paper. Kennedy, I need the conversations to be off, right? So we, we've already done the hardest thing about writing this paper. What is the hardest thing about writing any paper? Starting. Starting. You're already halfway through. You already did almost, you did a little more than half of it. So all you have to do before next class is fix what you found today that was an issue and then write the rest of the paper. The rest of the paper involves what? The in, well, first, before you do the intro, you're going to do that last section for source 1.4, remember? And then you're going to do the introduction, and then once all of that is done, you're going to do a beautiful conclusion with a very clear so what and who cares, but you're going to keep it in third person. And then, what, what last component do you need to have to make sure that you haven't done any major, major, major bad things? Works cited page, right? So again, section D. Introduction, conclusion, works cited. It's really not going to be that hard because you've already written your work cited. All you need to do is piece it together and format it. And you've already outlined the rest of what you need to write. So it's not that much. Just don't leave it until the night before. Yeah? Okay. Question. Yeah. And then are we peer reviewing it? Yeah. So here's the thing. You'll find in this class that if a paper is worth a crap ton of your grade, I will not take any chances with it. I am not messing around with your college transcript. You might not understand how much your college transcript is going to be a part of your life for the next 10 years, but I do, right? So I am going to try to safeguard that college transcript with every fiber of my being, right? So we, if it's a big paper and we know that your skills are low, which they are right now, which is okay, we're going to do as many checkpoints as we possibly can. And that's just insurance, and that's how I can say, even if you're bad at writing, as long as you do exactly what I say, when I say, right, you're going to be okay. And keep in mind that if your grade is suffering right now, you still have like 60% of your grade that we haven't even touched, right? We've only covered two areas of your grade so far. The term one, uh, I think it's like activities or formative assignments, and documentary review. Only two sections. We still have the literature review, the magazine editorial, the script for the documentary, and the documentary. All of those are massive chunks of your grade that we haven't even talked about yet. Okay, so don't panic. If you're sucking it up so far, all you got to do is level up from here on out and don't make any other big mistakes. Yeah? This is a semester grade, right? Yes, it's a semester grade. You'll still get a grade at the end of the term, but if it's higher at the end of the semester, because we learn and we grow and we learn from our mistakes, I will replace your first term grade with your second term grade. So even if you sucked it up and you struggled to get on board with the time management stuff first term, there is grace built into the grading. So far, so good? With all of that being said, why don't we just take a look here at this paper? How fun will that be? Um, so uh, on the purple paper, we're going to start out with yellow. For some reason, the color coding, we, our family just had the conversation about what color the subjects are. Like science is clearly green, 
Math is obviously red. English is clearly yellow. I mean, obviously. <laughs> anyway, apparently it's a fight. People fight about this. I don't know. But obviously, I mean, come on now. And, and history is blue. Duh. <laughs> anyway, uh, in my mind, the MLA stuff is always yellow, the color coding of my mind. What's the name of that? If you have that cognitive thing where synesthesia, that's what it is. I don't have it particularly, but I do have whispers of it. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So we're going to just look at the MLA stuff right now, and we're going to do all of that in the yellow highlighter, which doesn't mean that your pencil or pen should go anywhere far, right? Because you're going to write a note for every highlight that you do. So far, so good? Yeah. Okay. So practice giving even positive feedback is super valuable if you think they did it correctly. So when you're looking at ladies, we're looking at the paper right in front of ours, right? We're first going to look at the super simple nuts and bolts of MLA because there's three components of MLA, the way the paper's formatted, the in-text citations, and the works cited page. Okay, so we're going to start with the way the paper is formatted. That's the basics. Top right-hand corner, there should be a last name, space, no comma, page number. That last name should be in Times New Roman font. If you're not sure what that looks like, serifs are involved, with, which means like the little, little markety marks at the end of each letter the way the pencil would pick up um, and all you have to do is compare it with the rest of the paper in terms of like does this font look the same so it has to be in 12 point times new roman no comma in between capitalize the first letter of their last name and then the page number should increase by one so double check how that goes i think i saw jacob i don't know what happened with yours but i think I, I don't know what happened. let's look over it we'll look at your yeah um okay uh then from the, oh, and you have to also have to check that their page number is a half inch from the top of the page, but a full inch from the side, the right-hand side of the page. That's how we know that they use the page number function as opposed to trying to like spacey space it over. It's never going to work for them. They have to learn how to do the things. Okay. So far, so good. Now just make sure the pages increase by one on subsequent pages. If it, they don't increase by one, it means that they use the heading function instead of the page number function. We can talk about that too. Then, um, with very, like, one small space between it, look on the left-hand side of the paper. It should be smack dab in the corner of the screen, one inch from the top and one inch from the left-hand side. Their name should be the first thing listed there, first and last, in first and last order. Capitalize the first letter of each name. The next line down should be, oh, no, I can't remember, my name or the class name. My name and some version. Just make sure they spelled Hernandez correctly. I don't really care what honorifics they use, just as long as it's there, right? Then the next line down is some form of the class name. As we move forward, it needs to be the official class name, but we're not there yet. We're just baby stepping it. So some form of CE English. But if they put CE in there, CE is an acronym. Both letters should be capitalized. So double check that as well. And then on that same line, if they put the class period, it needs to be the name of the class, a comma, lowercase p for period, and then the number. So far, so good? So you can't just have the whole word as period, just p six. Oh, you have the whole word as period, oh, yeah. Okay. It's just lowercase p. It's not a proper noun. Okay. Do you, right? do you have to have the period? You don't. That is optional. So if it's not there, don't mark them down for it. Should there be a comma between the English and then period? Mm -hmm. okay. So CE English, comma, period six, lowercase p. Then the final line should be the date, and lots of people forget that the date needs to be in British order, not American order, which means small, medium, large, day, month, year, no commas, write the whole month out. No commas, write the whole month out. Double check. So there shouldn't be any punctuation on that date line. 
So far so good, not too bad. Then right below that four line heading with no extra spaces in between it, they should have some sort of title for their first heading. And the heading should not be section A, heading A, heading one, title, none of that. It should be a unique title because that's what was asked for on the outline. A title that basically is like a little mini thesis of the whole heading. Yeah? They can. It's not the worst thing in the world. So eventually when we do the introduction, the title of the introduction is just going to be the title of their full paper, then the introduction, then the heading for the first heading, then the heading, and then the heading for the second heading, right? But it's always centered and not bolded, no underline, no punctuation. But I think I saw this. Who else did I see this in? I think it was Michael's, maybe Jacob's. Uh, title has to be in standardized capitalization, which is every important word capitalized, not the prepositions, unless it's the first word of the title. No quotation marks, no punctuation, 12 point times New Roman. So far, so good? So no, like, no, question, no question marks? Here's the problem with that, and thank you for bringing that up, because this is really important. Anytime that you are asking a question of the reader, whether it's part of the title or whether it's a rhetorical question in your writing, why would that be an issue in academic writing? If you are acknowledging the reader, you're basically talking in second person. You're asking them a question, you're acknowledging their existence, and that is against the rules of formal academic writing. So if the only time a question mark should appear in your paper is if it's part of a quote of somebody else's work that you're quoting, or if it's part of the title of somebody else's work. You never ever have questions, whether it's a title or a rhetorical question in your prose. Never ever. Because it's a second person violation, it makes it informal and it removes your objectivity. Your, your, it indicates bias, right? So anytime you see a question mark, rhetorical question in any way, shape, or form, I know in junior high you were taught to like ask a question of the reader as your hook. Remember your teacher taught you that? Oh, yeah. And that's cute. And there's a place for that. This is just not that place. So again, there's not right types of writing that are better than others. We are just learning how to adjust the settings of our writing skills based on the situation and what's being asked of us. And in this case, zero second person, no exceptions. Yeah. So the only point where it's not um, 11 point um, title, like, like the title is 12 points, and that's just, that's it, right? Everything is 12 point times New Roman, no exceptions. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Everything should be 12 point times New Roman. There's zero exceptions to that. Yeah? Uh, can there be italics in the title? In their title? In, yeah. In their title of their heading, yeah, then no. Unless they're quoting a work like if they're quoting let me see that's fine okay that's fine yeah oh because i told you to do that right didn't i put the title of that on there i'm remembering that so are you the only one who did that <laughs> so we're on the outline remember i said the title of this heading is a rhetorical analysis of the grit and grace documentary that should be your title i forgot that i did that I did a lot more hand I did a lot more hand holding for this one. It's where you're coming up with your own titles for section B and C. That's what I forgot that I had done that. I also gave you this is the first time I've ever like given the thesis because that hurt has hurt people's brains in the past. Yeah. So should we highlight those and say 
Yeah, so the first title, thanks for reminding me about that. That's super helpful. So the first title should just be a rhetorical analysis of the Grit and Grace documentary. That's the title that I gave you to use for this um, off of your outline. The unique title should happen for sections B, C, and D. Yeah. Um, okay, so... There should be italics in it then because the title of a film is italicized. So grit and grace should be italicized. Alrighty, so then check to see that all their paragraphs are indented. I'm still getting a lot of questions about your formatting being removed when you're transferring from your cloud document to Canvas. So everyone stop what you're doing and look up. It's like a 70 step process to ensure that your formatting remains intact. So look up and listen, okay? If you're working in a cloud document of any kind, right? The code, you know how in Star Trek, the transporter like takes apart your cellular structure and then reconstructs it on the other end? Oh, yeah. Everyone knows that about Star Trek, right? Yeah. So just, just me and, okay. Um, so that's the same thing with your paper. It's not taking a picture of your paper and uploading it to Canvas. It's taking the code from your document, pulling it apart and then reconstructing it. So in that way, a lot of your formatting is lost in that transfer from the cloud document to Canvas. So the rule of thumb is never submit a cloud document to Canvas. Here's what you gotta do. It's like five steps, but this is how your formatting can be preserved, okay? So you take your cloud document, don't save it as a PDF, save it as a document to your device, okay? Like as a document file, double check the formatting there. Once you're happy with the device documents formatting, then save that device document as a PDF on your device that's just taking a picture of your document. And then from that device PDF, that's what you upload to Canvas. So I know it adds an extra step, but it will ensure that your formatting remains intact. It's like 50 steps. But so far, our relationship with Microsoft is not going anywhere, much to my chagrin. I hate, hate it. I mean, I love it. Weber State's great. Um, okay, so uh, our titles, our indents, Every paragraph should be indented. I need you to double check that there are no extra spaces between paragraphs. There are there. But I'm very heartened because most of you learned to take the extra spaces out after each paragraph. Most of you. Looks good. Which I love that for you guys. We've leveled up. Or I don't know what that is, but that is a hard pass. I don't know what that is, but oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, so double check that they don't have extra spaces between paragraphs. That's part of the page formatting. And the last part of the in-text formatting gets a little bit tricky and frustrating, okay? So the page formatting, part of that page formatting is anytime you use somebody else's work in your work, the title of their work is treated specially. And it's different rules than the title of your headings and your paper. So it gets confusing, listen carefully, your titles the heading titles and your paper title are all just going to be 12 point times New Roman, no fun stuff, right? But when you bring somebody else's title into your paper, it has to be always in standardized capitalization. That's rule number one. And number two, that title has to be in either quotation marks or in italics, never both. So I need you to scan through the paper. How many titles? Think through it. How many source titles should they have in this section of the paper? Hold it up on your fingies. How many source titles should you find? Just three, Grit and Grace, the title of the chapter, 
uh, what's her face's chapter, and then Source 1.3, which is like something about the dark side, that one. So those titles. Let me ask you this. Should these titles be mentioned more than once each? Give me a yes or a no. Should these titles in full be appear in the paper more than one time each? Give me a nod or a shake. Just trying to get an idea of what we know here. What are we thinking? Can we make it more clear? Yes, yes or no? No. Why no? Because the reader already knows the title of the book. What would be the problem with keep putting that long title, the dark side of toughing it out? What would be wrong with putting that title in every single time you mentioned that work? What would be wrong with that? It's repetitive. It's not technically wrong, but it gets clunky and cumbersome because that title makes it hard for you to construct your sentence appropriately. Mm -hmm. So titles should appear once. Full names of authors should only appear once. Thereafter, every piece of every source is referred to by just the author's last name. So instead of saying effort counts twice every time you mention Duckworth's article, you just say Duckworth, 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 Duckworth every time. Because once you have multiple sources, you have to differentiate between those authors. So never say the author writes or thinks or says this. Say the author's last name. Even if it feels repetitive, it's still better than mixing it up. Yeah? When it's like the long committee thing, how do you abbreviate that? Oh, so I love that. Thank you for that question. So that stupid long committee thing, what you do, it's, and it'll make you sound so smart and so it's like really fun. So what you do is you say the title of the committee when you're introducing the author. You give the full title. And then in parentheses right after it, you say hereafter referred to as acronym. So you set that up in text in a parenthetical statement. You're telling your reader, this author from here on out, I'm going to write it like this. So every time after that they mention that author, they should be mentioning it as an acronym that they've established clearly. So author's full name one time, and then in parentheses after put hereafter referred to as and then their acronym, and then from there on out, you can just use shorthand. That's the formal way to do it. Yeah? Sure. Um, the period needs to go after the citation. Depends on if there's a citation. We'll get there in a second, because <laughs> that question hurts people's brains all day, every day. Um, okay, so but first let's look at the titles. So scanny scan. First check the capitalization of the title. Then check whether it should be in quotation marks or italics. Which title should be in italics? Oops, I was hoping for like a group answer that was super confident. Which title should be in italics? Oops. Oh. <laughs> Three times. Which title should be in italics? Woo! <laughs> that hurt my feelings. So um, the title of the documentary is in italics, right? But the title of the chapter and the title of the, the dark side one, both of those should be in quotation marks because they're part of a larger whole, right? They're either part of a website periodical or part of a book. So far, so good? Sure can. Okay, so the title of the documentary should be in italics. Never both. It's never, ever... I have so many kids being like, if I do a both, then one of them's right. No, it's just more wrong. So you have to choose and you have to know what it is in your heart and soul. So again, the rule is quotation marks is part of a larger whole. 
So if it's an article from a greater publication, it's always in quotation marks. Grit and Grace documentary, italics. Yeah? So BBC Workplace, I love that you brought that up. And was that your same question? No. Okay, what is your question? Oh, my question is the period goes on the inside of the We're going to get there. Because okay. <laughs> that's the one that makes people cry cry. Okay, so pause on that. We're going to unpause in just a second. So the title of the entire container, BBC Work Life, or the New York Times, or the Washington Post, the title of the larger container, if you put that in there, it doesn't have to be in there as part of a source introduction, but if you did, it should be in standardized capitalization and italicized. Right? Question over here. Well, so if they put a full title of the book and then titled effort counts twice. Title of the book is the part of a greater whole or the larger whole? The larger whole. The larger whole is always in italics, okay. right? And then the chapter that was a part of that larger whole is in? Quotation marks. That's the rule for both APA and MLA, which is delightful. It just gets weird later, but not now. Um, okay, so do you have other questions before this period question? Yeah. Sorry, this is kind of about what she said, but yeah. if they didn't mention like effort counts twice for a second, they just mentioned the book. Okay, I love this. Is that an I love this. Think about what we put on our works cited page. Did we use the whole book in this paper? There's a reason we didn't use the whole book in this paper because she has a much more nuanced conversation about grit later, but we're trying to use it for rhetorical purposes. So we don't, we aren't using the whole book. We're very specifically using just that chapter. So in this case, just like an article from a magazine, the title that we're working with for Duckworth is Effort Counts Twice. The full title of the text is on the works cited page, but it's listed as a container, not the title of the text that we're working with. So the title of the chapter is what should be in their paper. Yes. Sorry to keep yeah. bringing this up. Listen, but, but can I just pause real quick? This is your education, right? It is my job to teach you. Even if I've already said it, we don't apologize for asking questions. We don't ever do that, right? Because this is the learning process. So you are not doing a bad thing. You're not doing anything wrong by asking. So yes, okay. yes, yes. So for like effort count twice, that would be in quotations and then grit the power of perseverance. Would that be in italics? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. It's a lot, but once you get it into your bones and in your muscle memory, you'll never ask that question again. Yeah. So here's the thing. Thank you for reminding me about that. I wanted you to take a look at this uh, college level writing. If you look at the section in the college level writing, it's going to tell you how you're required to formally introduce a source. And we're going to go over this in a hot second. So just push, but, but just so you know, the introducing a source, source integration and introduction down there, it'll tell you the components that you need to have every time when you're first introducing a source. And so technically, if it's not rhetorically important, you don't have to have the title of the container, but you always have to have the title of the source the first time the source is mentioned. Yeah. So the dark side of trying, uh, trying, so where did that source come from? The dark side one. Um, like the publication? Yeah. So if you can say that it came from a publication, then it's automatically a part of a larger whole. So is it in quotation? Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun so far, right? We're still on the first. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to say like, like hot button words to help this stick in your brain. Okay. There is no floor punctuation until after citation. 
So think to yourself, naked until after citation. Say it. Naked until after citation. Say it again. Naked until after citation. So if I have my quote from Duckworth, blah, 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 right? And then I close her quote. She had a period at the end of her sentence, right? She had a period at the end of her original sentence. This sentence, her quote is over. So the quotation marks end there. But the sentence isn't over until I do what? Until I cite it. Because the citation has to be part of the sentence so we know what piece of information goes with whom, right? So if I'm citing Duckworth, citation, that's her quote, the punctuation that was in her quote, I just don't put it until after the citation. So it should be naked here, no comma. A lot of people put a comma because they feel like it's naked and they feel like something has to go there, so they just shove it in there. It's not great. Don't do that. Or they'll put a period in both places, hoping that one of them's right. Well, you just made it super double wrong, right? So naked floor punctuation until after citation. There is one exception. If there's an ellipsis, that three dot, where they're finishing the sentence, that can be there. But no other punctuation. So, say the question? So never. So the, like what you texted me last night, it doesn't go there. I thought, I thought about putting it, but I was like, maybe don't, Linnea. And in that way, I adulted. So quotation marks for this quote don't go after the citation. So the rule is always that the punctuation goes inside the, the quotation marks unless there's a citation. In which case, the way that I remember it is that their words are over, so we close the quotation, but the sentence is not over. So the punctuation comes after the citation, right? But if it's the title of the text where it was like dark side of... So if your sentence was the dark side of this title of the source, but you don't need a citation here, you're just ending your sentence with the name of a source, and there's no citation needed at the end of that sentence, then the punctuation goes inside the quotation marks. So the only time the punctuation doesn't go inside the quotation marks is if there's a cita uh, citation at the end of the sentence. Is that crystal clear? <laughs> Super confusing. Yes? That's only at the end of the sentence. You don't need to put that if, it's, if you quote. So if you quote the title of the article in the middle of a sentence, then it can be no punctuation right there. Right? Yeah. Can we still have no punctuation after, like, in the quote if um, we're talking, we're like, uh, you're continuing it? your sentence? Yeah, we're like talking about the quote. Yeah, so in that case, if you're not ending the sentence with the quotation, you go on with your sentence, right. still no punctuation, and then the sentence is still going to end with a citation, then the punctuation. No your punctuation, no comma. Never, never a, com a comma never goes here, and it's just so funny because I can see the way you think about it, and you're like, it feels wrong. I'm just going to shove it in there because that's what you do with commas anytime is you're just like, yeah, it feels like a comma. <laughs> So even if, yeah, so even if you put a quotation in your sentence, but the quoted material is in the middle of the sentence and then you continue your sentence, the citation still happens at the end of the sentence. Yeah. Is that, was that the question sort of? No, I, I was wondering like after the quote, if you, if you are continuing your sentence, is it uh, lowercase, you don't start with it? It depends. We'll get into that. That depends. And that's more mechanics. I don't want to confuse you, this issue, with that issue, because that's a grammatical issue. This is an MLA issue. Two separate categories, right? Okay. 
So, how fun was that? Was that fun? So, no? Okay. Um, so, just highlight the titles of each of the sources. Make sure that the capitalization is correct, that the punctuation in and around those titles is correct. Right? And then, in yellow, also highlight their in-text citations. So, pulled up on your fingers, minimum, minimum, how many in-text citations should you have in this section today? In this, in section A, B, and C, how many should, how many in-text citations minimum should they have? So you're saying three, you're saying six. Why do you say three? A, B, and C. A, B, and C. Why do you say three? The B and the C need quotes? Yes. Well, you need two. Oh, okay, so for the whole thing that they brought in, you're saying two per B and C. Yeah. That's right. But out of the whole thing, so section A, how many quotes were you supposed to have in it? Okay, so section A is three quotes. Section B is two. Section C is so are we saying that the only time a citation should need to be in here is seven times? Yeah. Yes. We're sure about that. Yes. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't be making that face. Um, so yeah, you minimum have to cite all the quotes. But what happens when at the beginning when you're introducing the source, before you get into the quote, aren't you supposed to give like a little summary of what the quote was about? Or what little summary of what the whole source was about? Yeah. You remember that? Was that summary of that source your idea? No. Oh, so right? If you're introducing these sources and you give that little summary at the introduction of each source, you should cite that too. So we should have a crap ton of, of in-text citations, right? Um. Just a bonkers number. So... Get your highlighter out and highlight, literally highlight every in-text citation and not just the citation, but the punctuation before and after it. So you can see, did they leave it naked until after citation? And yeah, so just highlight all of the in-text citations. And what do those in-text citations, what are they supposed to look like? I will remind you, I'm gonna pull it up for you. Are, are we having fun yet? <clears throat> so fun. I know, right? I can do all day. All day. Okay, so here's what our in-text citation should look like. There are these ones right here. We got Duckworth, the Duckworth chapter. That's what the in-text citation should look like. Maybe your page number is different. No more, no less than that. No commas, no PG, no PP dot. None of that fun stuff, right? For the documentary itself, the citation should include the first few words of the group author, capitalized, no comma, and then either a timestamp or a timestamp range. And then, was it Imitaz that was MTAS? This one was 1.3? right? Yeah. yeah. There's no page numbers for that. So even though they're taking several quotes from it, there's no page numbers whatsoever. Yeah. So, um, do I, like, 
when they introduce what the documentary is about, is it after that first sentence that I put the explanation, or should I, they basically put it at the very end, like the end of their paragraph? It's hard, I know. So if you're talking about the source, you're not plagiarizing when you're just saying who wrote it, right? And in what context? It's their ideas that you're citing. So wherever you're summarizing the ideas of that work, it's that sentence that you put the citation in. So far so good. We've checked out all those citations and the surrounding punctuation before and after it. Oh, we haven't fun yet. Um, okay, so with that, we would then go over the works cited page. We're gonna do that next time. Yeah, because the works cited page wasn't due today. I saw some of you did do it, and I love that for you. You're being very extra. But just keep in mind, if I'm asking you to do part of a paper, I will always put in the assignment description very specifically which part is due. So if you overdid it because you want it to be extra, I love that for you. But if you overdid it because you didn't carefully read the directions, that's a learning moment for you. Yes? So far so good? Okay, so with the MLA, go to your uh, rubric and give them a score for MLA. There should be literally zero mistakes in MLA for a mastery score, zero, none. Here's what I want you all to learn real quick though, and can you pause and just stop and listen to what I'm about to say? Oopsie daisies, can you all pause and stop and listen? So if they did the wrong punctuation, or say like they put a comma in all their in-text citations, all of them, that's not 12 different mistakes. That's a pattern of one mistake, right? So again, we're not gonna have a one misunderstanding about something tank their whole entire rubric score for that row, right? So again, think about it as one pattern of mistakes. So if they kept making the same mistake over and over again, that's just one mistake. They're gonna fix all of it, right? So again, if they made just one pattern of mistake, it can be proficient, it's fine. Right? Yes, I would love perfection. If they even made two patterns of mistakes, it can still be proficient at this point. Not in 2015, but in 1010. But if they made any more than three mistakes, it has to be needs improvement or beginning. And again, it doesn't do you any good to lie on these because I'm not taking this rubric score. You get a, you get a grade just for finishing the section of the paper to the best of your ability, right? So don't, it doesn't do you any good to lie and save their feelings. They have to know because they're going to go home and revise it and improve it. And they got to know the reality of what score they would have gotten. Yeah. So MLA is the yellow uh, marker. Yeah. And th the way we find that out is on the purple paper. <laughs> There's like 30 papers in front of you. Um, so on the rubric, the grading rubric that you're going to give them this rubric and kind of show them what you think their score would be if I had graded it. Right. So give them a score on this rubric for MLA. It's the second to last row. And if you're giving a mastery score, I, from what I saw, two papers in here could possibly maybe earn a mastery score. Two. Maybe. I didn't even look at the other pages. Right? Okay. Was that a question or just your, your hand is real high for opening a water bottle? It's high. Am I wrong? Because we, the teachers, were trained for the raised, raised arm of any kind to see the peripheral. You get it. You're like... <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, that's rough. It's rough for me. The hair touch is rough for me. Um, also, the yawn. People, when they do like cartoonish yawns, that throws me off a lot too. Um, okay, 
So we're going to move to transition words and phrases. It's the number three row down on that purple page. It's in a green highlighter. And for the love of all that is holy, can you put your caps back on your highlighters? You're stressing me out. I can't sit here and watch you let your highlighters dry out like that. Office supplies is really important to me as a person, and it hurts my feelings whenever I see you misuse them. You know what I'm saying? I don't like it. Okay, it's fine. So what I want you to do, and again, this is like a really, really low-level examination of transition words and phrases. We're going to do the rest later. Um, But transition words and phrases, at the beginning of every paragraph, they should have some sort of pretentious transition word or phrase, like moreover, essentially, in the same vein, in addition, at the beginning of every paragraph, they should have some sort of transitional word or phrase to move the, the reader through their ideas. Yeah. Oh, so at the very, very beginning one, no, you don't need to have a transition word or phrase, but keep in mind that it's not the beginning of the paper. So if they have firstly there or to begin, I'll lose my mind because their introduction should be at least a half a page. So if they already have their introduction, then they're starting their first heading that says to begin. That'll just bug me because they've already begun. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You should never have one big paragraph. Okay. Never, never, never. Because remember, paragraphs are simply there to help the reader uh, compartmentalize ideas. So you should be doing that for them. It's part of your organization score. Yeah. Okay, so with the they don't need a transition word at the start, is that mean that they don't need a transition word at the start of every section? Yeah, they don't need a transition word at the beginning of every section. But you could put in a phrase like, to build on uh, Duckworth's ideas, Imitaz, or however you say that name, asserts that, blah, blah, blah. So you can still have transitional words or phrases. It doesn't have to be the perfunctory ones that are on the sheet that I gave you. Yeah? So you shouldn't have a paragraph that's like a page and a half long. No. That's probably a hard no. Unless you're Ayn Rand and we're not reading or writing The Fountainhead, so it's not that today. Yeah? So what she was talking about where it was like, um, you don't need one on every paragraph, just like the first paragraph of the... Few paragraphs in a section? Um, every paragraph but the first paragraph should have transition words or phrases at the beginning of it. For now. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, it's better than nothing. Some sort of introductory phrase. I'll take it. There was a comma after that, though. Yes, right? Oh, good. Whose paper do you have? Um, okay. Uh, yeah? Um, so, sorry, I thought... Oops, oopsie it's daisies, it's, it's fine, fine. we're going to work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the, like, the headings, are they supposed to be in the... Oh, I love that. So the headings in APA, they will be flush with the left-hand side, but in MLA, for the purposes of our headings, we're using them centered, not bolded. So if they did it wrong, just highlight it and mark it wrong. All the headings for their, each, each, all of the titles of the headings should be centered, not bolded, no extra spaces above or below. Yeah. If they don't have a heading, highlight where it should be and put where is it, like that, and then draw a picture of you going, huh? <laughs> it's it's yellow. Yeah.
Okay. So we are, again, we're, we're, we're just super duper not even reading this yet. But I'm taking you through the order of how I will look at your paper, right? So I'll always look at the MLA first, do a quick, quick scan, right? Then I'll always look at the style components of your paper first before I read it for content. The reason is that the style components will help me know whether or not your content is going to be appropriate or not, right? So the next thing we're going to do, again, we haven't read the paper yet. We're just jumping around. I need you to go to, uh, just one second. Uh, it's the green highlighter again, but we're in a different section. Highlight every time they have a direct quote in their paper. Highlight the whole quote, including the punctuation that comes at the beginning of it. So every time they have a direct quote in their paper, highlight it in green from the beginning of the quote until right before the citation. So again, in green, highlight the whole quote. And so how many quotes should they have? They should have seven quotes. So your highlighter should be highlighting seven different quotes. If it's not, they didn't follow the basics of the assignment description. Extra spaces between paragraphs. You can fix that, right? Just do control A and then fix your document settings. Yeah. Are they using it to compare it to the new quote? No, it's the same quote. That's a problem. Can they have more than seven quotes? Here's, I love this question, and no. Here's why. If you're using more than one quote from each source as you discuss it, you are padding your paper with somebody else's ideas, right? So you should just pull a quote out, and your words in that quote sandwich should encapsulate and give context to that one quote. And it should be enough to cover the whole source's view. Yeah? So this is kind of back to in-text citations, but like, let's say in there, like, even after they already quoted, they just paraphrase another part. Is that fine? No. So after they've quoted, right, after they've done the quote and in the quote sandwich, if they're talking about the quote, then that doesn't need to be cited. Okay. But later on in the paper, if they're talking about a different part of the paper and they're just paraphrasing but not direct quoting, if it wasn't their idea, they have to cite it. No, I, I am saying they're citing it, but I'm saying, like, is that okay? Because it's not necessarily direct quote. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But we do need seven direct quotes, okay. exact words. If they have more than that and they re required an in-text citation for that, then I love that for them and they're being extra and that's great. Yeah. You just, the, for each section, just say you're missing quotes here. It's super, super important. Yeah, because they need to have one contrasting and one comparison quote for each of the B and C sources. Yeah. Um, does it need to be a comma before quotations always? No. So that's the question that I said oh. we would get to later. So the question is, is there a comma before the quotation ever? And 90% of the time, you have an introductory phrase and then a comma after that, unless you're integrating the quote into the syntax of your own sentence, which we're not going to get into that. So 90% of the time, there should be a comma before that quote. I've seen two people in here integrate it into their sentence structure, and they already know whether or not they're doing it right or wrong. So most of the time, just a comma before the quote and then the quote. Yeah? What if they started the sentence with the quote? Okay. <laughs> Listen, do you not remember the neck analogy? 
where the quote is the focal point of your idea, but you are the neck and you direct the quote where it goes. If you started a sentence with somebody else's words, you are not being the neck. You're letting them be the neck. Your sentence should begin because you are taking control of that quote. If a quotation starts one of their sentences, it, they've like just totally missed the whole lesson on quote sandwiches. <laughs> no, no. Never, ever, 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 ever start a sentence with somebody else's words. It's your paper, your sentence. Then you allow them or invite them into your sentence. That's how we take control of other people's ideas, right? So here's the thing. If you put the introductory information from your quote in a sentence right before the quote, right? So this introductory information, this quote sandwich stuff at the top, right? This could be two or three sentences, or it could just be one introductory phrase right by the quote, right in front of the quote. Here's the thing. This could be one sentence and you could finish all this information in one sentence and then start the quote, but the quote still can't start your sentence. So you should say something like, give all this introductory information, put your period, and then again say, Duckworth elaborates, comma, quote, right? At the very minimum, the author's name and an annotative verb. Yeah. Um, I know it says like, uh, write who said it, but uh, if you start your sentence off, like the first sentence, it says, grit and grace, the fight for American dream. Like that's the start of the sentence. Like, but did the sentence before that have it? In, no, that's like the first. So again, introducing a quote is different than introducing the source. Sometimes it could happen all at once, but not for now, right? So introducing the source, you have to have the author's full name and the full title of the source and a little introduction, right? But when you're introducing a quote, all you need is the author's last name that, and attributing those words to that author, then the introductory information. So if they don't have any of that right before the quote, that is a problem. No, it's like, it, it's, it's like the first paragraph and she's just uh, like introducing, introducing the you can start this sentence with a grit and grace a documentary produced by blah 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 blah, blah hereafter referred to as this acronym even if it even if even that it has oh i see what i i finally arrived at what you're saying i've arrived he's saying can you start the sentence with a quote but it's the title of the work yes you just can't yeah, start yeah. this is in quotation marks but it's not a quote it's yeah. a title you just can't start a sentence with a quotation like a line from their paper, right? So the rule in MLA for a quote is that it can't be more than 40 words or you have to format it as a block quote and no block quotes are allowed anywhere in 1010 or 2015. So the best rule of thumb to remember is that a quote should never take up more than two lines of typewritten text combined, right? So if it's like this, A shaker taker, right? And you're totally like, eh, that's fine. So it's on three lines, but cumulatively two lines. Does that make sense? Or just two lines of typewritten text. A quote should never, ever be longer than that. If it is, the, you've highlighted it in green so far. If it is, you need to tell them to do what's called draining the quote. Only taking the essential words and information from that quote. And... If it's in the middle of a sentence or at the end of a sentence, they use ellipses or those three periods, three dots, to take the place of stuff they don't need in the sentence. That's how we drain a quote. Right? Yeah. So uh, three lines long, but it's like it's taking space of three lines, not 
not two, two. then tell them it's too long. They have to shorten it. Have to have to shorten it. If it's longer than 40 words, they have to format a block quote totally differently. And we're still struggling with basic formatting. We're not getting into block quotes, friends. Mm -mm. Not today. So it's too long for a regular in-text quotation. So they've got to shorten it. Double check all their quotes. Make sure they don't exceed two lines. So far so good? Okay. Then, with the now that you have your quotes highlighted in green, we're going to take a look at the way they've sandwiched that quote. So this can get a little meticulous and nitpicky. So let's lock in, like gird up our loins, and be ready to be meticulous, okay? So we're going to start with the top bun of the quote sandwich, and that's going to be an orange. So the top bun should have three things, but there's no rule as to how long that should be or what kind of sentence should be created. We're just looking at the pieces of information that are there. Okay? So the top bun should say who wrote the quote. If it's the first time they're introducing the author, it should be the full name. Thereafter, it should just be the author's last name, not first name ever. Right? Who wrote the quote? So highlight that in orange. should be right before the quote. Also, the context in which the quote occurred, it could be as simple as Duckworth in her, in her book chapter, comma, stated that. That simple. The context in which it was, in which it occurred. Or you can talk about the context in terms of what she was talking about. So you could say Duckworth in commenting on the nature of grit, comma, stated. So it can either be the context of the type of text that it was written in or the context of the topic that was being discussed at the time. Either one is fine. Context just means give a little background on where this quote was coming from. You can't come in hot with it. Yeah. And that's also, an also an orange. Yep. And then you can make this, these top two, you, that can be your introductory phrase. That can count as your introductory phrase. Or you can create a new introductory phrase that just basically says the author's name um, and an annotated verb. Duckworth outlines, comma. Regarding grit, comma, Duckworth states, comma, quote, right? So the introductory phrase can be in addition, or it can be just these two lines. But an annotative verb needs to be somewhere there. It can't be thinks, Duckworth thinks, Duckworth writes, Duckworth says, none of that. All of those words should be replaced by annotative verbs, and you have a sheet to help you with that. Yeah? So can they say, like, Duckworth states, quote, long? Uh-huh. Okay. Duckworth states, comma. Yeah. Unless the beginning of the quote begins with the word that. So add a comma before the, the quote? After the word states. Okay. Before the quotation marks. Yeah. So far so good? Still having fun? <laughs> yes? Could the context in which this could occur be like um, this person spoke about this? Yes. Topic? So what they're talking about could also be the context. Okay. So you could say in their textbook chapter, or you could say, a regarding the importance of grit, comma, Duckworth stated, the context can just be any information on how or why that quote appeared. Yeah? Um, if they just say, like, um, like, the author and then sums up this claim, would that count? So here, why would that not be a good idea? Um, if we started the sentence, instead of saying Duckworth outlines, we said the author outlines, why is that a problem? Oh. Like, giving, like, I was just saying, like, 
So the author sums up this claim, the word this should be replaced by what this is. The word this in that context is a vague pronoun. We don't want that. So yes, it is too vague. That is the answer. Yes? Um, so like in Duckworth's thing, she also had like quotes from other people. Yeah. Do you want them to say like this person quoted it? Yes. Or do you want them to say so that's how we avoid having to double in-text citation so in the text, so if Duckworth is quoting somebody else and you're quoting Duckworth quoting somebody else, the first thing I would tell you is find a different quote. That's number one. Find something Duckworth actually said. But if that's the only way to do it, then you would say Duckworth utilized the voice of so-and-so to demonstrate this point. In Duckworth's chapter, so-and-so said, then the quote, still citing Duckworth. Does that make sense? So you have to make it clear that if they're quoting somebody else, you are making it clear that the author you're examining is using the other person's information as a way to further their ideas because you're still citing Duckworth. Yeah. Is Yeah, one time. Just not repeatedly. Yeah. That's fine. They should still put their name, the person's name that they're quoting in it. But I like how they did that. I would just add the name to be more specific. Other questions? So we're going through every quote and highlighting the top bun information in orange, making sure they have all three components in some way, shape, or form at the beginning of every quote. Every time, no exceptions. This information can't come after the quote, never. Later, when you're amazing and after you're done with your 2000 level English writing course, you can start messing around with the order of this information, but not until then. Yeah? Um, how do you mark them on their significance? I feel like We're not there yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So far, so good? Yes? All seven quotes. Okay, so again, make sure that when your friend gets their paper back, we really did only have time today to, we have a couple things, other things to go over. We really only had time to go over that MLA and to take a look at in depth at their quote sandwiches. But keep in mind that now that they've had feedback on their quote sandwiches, when they go write the rest of their paper, the quote sandwiches are going to go faster and be more solid for them. It'll make it easier for them to write the rest of the thing. And if their, if their quote sandwiches don't look like a beautiful orange and green and yellow and pink and blue and purple rainbow, then they know that they have work to do on those quote sandwiches. But I will say that the hardest part of writing a paper like this is integrating the quotes correctly and introducing the source correctly. But if you have a source introduction and then a quote integration and you follow that pattern, all of a sudden you have a 10-page paper. If you do it right, all you need is to know how to introduce the source and how to do a quote sandwich. Because that makes a paper. Throw in some transitional words and phrases, give it a conclusion. It's an A paper.
So if you go to the rubric here, we haven't touched on everything on this rubric, but we have done the MLA row. We have done the organization and style of it all. That's how we're talking about paragraph breaks, the order of information. Did they follow the outline? Um, did they use transitional words and phrases? Did they use annotated verbs? All that fun stuff. We didn't do the introduction, but we did do the rhetorical analysis of the documentary. You can give them a score for that. And you can, we can't do the supporting source analysis because we haven't even looked into that. We're going to do that next time. But we have done the supporting source integration on this rubric. We have done, did they introduce the source fully and appropriately? With all the components, including the author's full name, the title of the text, the type of text, and a short summary of the source. So give them a score on that, and then, and then we'll move to the college-level writing checklist in a second. So keep in mind, this is why we do two peer reviews for our first papers, because there's so much to look at. I mean, like you still haven't read their paper yet, and you've spent a f over an hour with it. Yeah. Um, so the boxes on the rubric are the rhetorical analysis of the film, the source integration, the organization and style, MLA, I think that's it. If you caught any conventions mistakes like grammar, punctuation, spelling, and you made notes about that, you can give them a score for that on the rubric. But keep in mind, it doesn't do you any good to be nice on the rubric, right? Because I'm not taking that score. Y'all are just getting points for bringing the paper in. As long as it's clear that you followed the outline and you did the complete assignment, you're not being penalized for any anything other than missing major components of it. Yeah. We're going to go through that. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to use that time real quick, but I do want you to have, so we're going to go over it super fast and go over it real specific next time. We only have about three minutes to go over that though. Okay. So with this college level writing checklist, we do not have time to go through everything, but we have mentioned a lot of what's on this college level writing checklist. So use your highlighter, any color, follow your heart, right? But highlight the places on that college level writing checklist that they need to pay attention to, that they didn't cover very well. So use your highlighter and say, you know, did they forget to say what source type the sources were for all of their source introductions? Highlight that. Did they not punctuate their citations correctly? Highlight that one. Did they forget to use transitional words and phrases? Highlight that. Did they forget to use annotative verbs? Highlight that. Did they say I, me, my, or you, we, us, first person and second person references? That means that they were using and engaging in bias in formal writing. That's a big fat no-no. 
even rhetorical questions, big fat no-no. So highlight the places on that checklist where they need to pay attention. Because you're going to walk up to them in their beautiful face and you're going to say, I loved your paper. Here are the things I liked about it. But also here are the things that you definitely need to fix before the next time you come in. So this rubric and this checklist are there to help you start a conversation with your friend about their paper. So then all you need to do is walk up to your friend and tell them great things about their paper and be as specific as you can. The goal is to have them walking out the door knowing exactly what they need to fix before they start writing the rest of the paper. And then you'll give them the rubric and you'll give them the white checklist. Keep your orange checklist, keep your purple paper, your purple color-coded paper. We'll use that next time. And then give them the rest. You just want to give them all the information that you can in order to help them improve this for next time. So remember, if I'm grading your paper and I see something that we definitely went over in the peer review, I'm going to be salty about it, right? Especially if it was mentioned in this peer review and in the previous one in the GRIT peer review, right? So at this point, I'm going to consider the feedback given. Yeah? We have a recording of this peer review. We'll record the next peer review as well. So as you're finishing up your paper and you're going to take a look at whether or not it's awesome, you can always listen to the peer review again and double check yourself if you'd like. Lots of tools at your disposal to make sure you're turning in awesome work. Any questions about this? We didn't get to pretty much any of the good stuff, but that's why we have two, two peer reviews scheduled, right? So gather up their stuff, go talk to their beautiful face, tell them good things about their paper, use your emotional intelligence as you give feedback. You get it. <laughs>